across the sun. I believe in the Holy Spirit. Our God is three in one. I believe in the resurrection. That we Trust it all to you, my dreams and all my plans. I 
beautiful day outside and I know I'm happy to be here and I hope you guys are too. I just wanted to let you know that we 
do do our bulletins and our Sunday service guide digital now. Um, and what that goes out in our email subscription. But if you don't want to be a part of the email subscription or uh, get any extra emails to your inbox, you can access that on our website under the live stream page. Um, and there's a link right there and you can open it and it's um, right there for you to see. And also we have a text subscription. I know I don't check my email as often, my personal email. Um, if texting is something that you're into, um, you can also sign up through texting. Shoot me an email at contact at gracelifeflorida.com and I'd be happy to get you um, connected uh, into that service as well. Um, something that we like to do together, um, every morning we like to say our Grace Life welcome. So I'm gonna read that to you and um, we can rest in, in this this morning. To all who mourn and need comfort, to all who are weary and need rest, to all who feel worthless and wonder if God cares, to all who fail and need strength, to all who sin and need a savior, to all who hunger and thirst after righteousness and to whoever else will come. Grace Life Church opens wide her doors in the name of Jesus Christ and offers welcome. All right. Amen. Well, I'm going to read. Uh, I'm going to read some scripture before we start here, if that's okay. It's going to be Psalm eight, and it says, "O Lord our God, how majestic is your name in all the earth! You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes, to still the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place." What is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands, and you have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, and also the beasts of the field, and the birds of the heavens, and the fish of the sea. Whatever passes along the paths of the seas, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Let's stand and worship together. Strength will rise as we wait upon the Lord. We will wait upon the Lord. We will wait upon the Lord. Strength will rise as we wait Strength will rise as we wait upon the Lord. We will wait upon the 
that God, His Son not sparing, sent Him to die. I scarce can take it in. That on the cross, my burden gladly bearing, He bled and died. serve a faithful God, amen? Even when we don't see him working, he's working. He's always with us, no matter how lonely or empty we feel, the Lord is with us, and he will never leave us or forsake us, and that's a wonderful promise that I have to remind myself of every single day. Let's sing this song with, with just confidence this morning. 
walking around these walls I thought by now they'd fall but you have never failed me yet waiting for change to come knowing the battles won for you have never failed me promise still stands great is your faithfulness your faithfulness i'm still in your hands this is my confidence you never fail
promise still stands great is your faithfulness your faithfulness i'm still in your hands this is my confidence you never sometimes when things don't go our way that doesn't mean he failed us that just means his plans better obviously he knows what's good for us um this next song forever is i think it's just a powerful song that declares that he has risen from the grave and he has defeated death and since he has defeated death we too because of him have defeated death and just the end of this life is only the beginning of eternity and a much much better much, much better place.
Savior, a risen King, Father. We thank you for what that means for us as your sons and daughters, Lord. I pray that we can always remember that this life is only temporary, Father. The pain we feel, the pain others feel, Lord, is only temporary, and there's something more, our future glory, Father. Lord, I pray for Tommy as he delivers the message today, Lord. You speak through him and just let your words come to life to us, Father. Let us receive your word with open hearts and open minds. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm coming. I'm going to read our scripture this morning, and uh, then I think we're going to watch a really short video, and then I'm going to preach. Good morning, Grace Life. My name is Tommy Clayton. If I have not had the pleasure of meeting you yet, I hope we can connect. I'm the lead pastor here at Grace Life, and you came on a great Sunday today because we have a weak connection, and the, uh, <laughs> we're starting a new series today. For the next four or five weeks, we're going to be talking about gospel and culture, and how those two things combined create and promote a really powerful reality to a watching world. So if you have a Bible, you can open it or you can turn it on, whatever you have with you. We're going to read two different texts this morning. Romans 15. Romans chapter 15. Just the uh, first seven verses. And if you don't have a copy of God's Word, that's okay. We bailed you out. Follow point here. And I think I'm going to check after I read this. Get this figured out here. Romans 15, 1 through 7, and then one more passage after that. Here we go. Not 1 Corinthians, Romans, right? <laughs> I thought that looked strange. Here we go. All right. One through seven. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please neighbor for his good, to build him up. For Christ did not please himself. But as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. And then pay attention to these next two verses, focus for today. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another, in accord with Jesus Christ, or Christ Jesus, that together you may, with one voice, glorify the God and Father of our Lord, Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ 
has welcomed you for the glory of God. And then we're going to turn over to Acts chapter 2. Do we have that on the PowerPoint? Yeah. That's to the left. Do you have a Bible? Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. Forty-two through forty-seven. Here we go. This is the early church, right after the day of Pentecost. First real gathering that's recorded. What went on here? Verse forty-two. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Verse 46. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number, day by day, those who were being saved. That's what the series is today. It is called Culture Check, and I'm going to be talking about culture and what I mean and what I don't mean, and I'm going to be talking about how that relates to our purpose in gathering here today and going through this series. And for those of you that do not have a copy of this book, I'm obviously not preaching this book. I don't preach books that are uninspired. Uh, I'm going to be preaching the Bible in this series, but this book was written by a man who loves the Bible and whose ministry and life and teachings have helped me tremendously. And I've met him at a conference, and I just I want to hug his neck uh, every time I think about him for the invaluable asset he's been to be in ministry. You know what's said of people in ministry who've gone before us? Uh, we can see further and clearer than them only because we stand on their shoulders. Amen? Well, this is one of those men, and this book is easily accessible. It's not very long. It's a hundred and something pages. Uh, and it's written for people like me who didn't go to Harvard, uh, and maybe you fall into that category too. But this is a free gift from our church to each family here. Um, obviously, we have a budget, so one per family, please, right? Even if you're a guest, take one today. We got some extras, Diane, I think, and she'll have those in the back, and we'll make that announcement. But this will give you the gist of what I'm hoping to accomplish. We're going to go deeper uh, than this book is able to, but there will be things he says in here that I don't get to, and, and this is a great book, and I think... Some of the people that have already been reading it and in their little fight clubs and, and discipleship clubs, uh, they're really enjoying it and being helped by it. So this is by Ray Ortland, The Gospel, How the Church Portrays the Beauty of Christ, and this is a gift to you if you don't have one already. Well, let's pray and we'll get started. Father in heaven, we 
need your help today. I need your help, Lord. I feel my, my humanity. I feel my creatureliness, Lord, that I, I am a creature and I'm subject to time and, and pressure and, and weaknesses and flaws and, and a cloudy mind and a restless night. And I just need your help, Lord. I'm shaking. I don't know if it's from caffeine or from fear or excitement, Lord, but uh, I pray that you would come and that you would settle my heart and that you would open our, all of our hearts together, Lord. May your spirit come and bless this gathering today, Lord. You have promised to meet with your people in a special and unique, beautiful and a powerful way when we gather together under the banner of Jesus Christ and we open up your word to explore and discover the new realities of who we are in Jesus Christ, how we have been transferred from a kingdom of darkness and death and condemnation and have been transferred into the kingdom of your glorious Son, where we can walk in the light together and have fellowship with you and with one another, where we can be real, we can find the help, the power, the strength that we need, where we can see what true human beauty was intended to look like, Lord, and live counterculturally. And we need that today. This church needs that, Lord. We, we are in our sixth year together, and I feel the, the weight, Lord, of the importance of this series more than I ever have. And you have just shown me over the years as a, a Christian, a, a father, a husband, and a, a pastor and a church planner, how important Christian culture is. And so I pray that we would wrap our minds around that today by your help and remove any distractions that would hinder us or encumber us, Lord. Pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. So what is culture? I think when, when we hear the word culture, we may be tempted to just think of all that that sinful world out there. But guys, culture is just a neutral term until you add baggage to it. It's just neutral. It's just like saying food or water or air. It can be good. It can be bad. It can be stinky. It can be sweet. It can be toxic or it can be healthy. Culture is just a word. And here's what it describes. It describes shared values. Shared values, things that are important to you, learned behaviors, patterns, but there's some things that help us wrap our minds around what it means because usually a culture becomes, uh, it becomes assumed by the people that are in it. And I, I've used this illustration before. It's like the smell of your house. Every house has a smell. And the last person to know what that smell is is the person who lives there. You breathe that air. You walk in that front door and it doesn't hit you like it does me when I visit your house. And I'm not saying that's bad. Some of you have wonderful aromas and fragrances. Some of you that use essential oils, I love it, right? But sometimes we'll go away on a vacation for five or six days, and I'll come back to my house, and I'll open the front door, and I'm like, ah, what's that? That's, that's the air in our No offense, honey. It's just, you know, you do a great job. It's Florida, though. There's heat. There's humidity. We turn the air almost off when we leave, and that, that leaves a, like a, a hanging aroma in the house, right? But you don't, you live there. You live there. You assume it. You don't question it. You don't challenge it. You don't analyze it. When you live in a culture, it's, it's assumed. It's unquestioned. And therein lies what I would call the culture problem. Because if that culture goes askew, if it goes awry, if it gets all toxic and bad, usually the last person to figure that out is the person that is just entrenched in the culture. And especially the people that it's been just really ingrained in the leaders are the last ones to see it, if they're even willing to see it, because they have to own up to, I helped create that and protect it, right? Speaking from experience. So culture are the values, the convictions that we share, that we protect, that we promote, 
that we don't challenge, we don't analyze them, we don't question them. To a fish, it would be like water. It's like the water you swim into. If you, if you swim up to a fish and you say, how's the water? They would say, what's that? <laughs> I told you the story about Sarah and I living in L.A. I never knew that L.A. Was, was shrouded in smog until we flew out. After four and a half, five years of seminary, we were flying out. I said, what in the world's that? She said, that's smog. I said, we live there. And she said, yeah, I know. Now we're leaving. <laughs> Thank the Lord, right? I breathed that smog, that polluted air for four and a half years and had no clue, man. I didn't know. Some people live in cultures like that, and I'll just, I'll just shoot straight to the chase. I'm talking about church culture. The culture of a church. Is it good? Is it bad? Is it biblical? Is it healthy? Or is it toxic and shameful? What kind of culture does our church have? What kind of culture does grace life have? And what shapes our culture? What creates our culture? What is it? Is it just whatever is around us that's going on politically, socially? Is that, do we just kind of absorb that? Is that our culture? Or is it something outside of that and above that and beyond that, better than that, that transcends that, that actually speaks to that? The church is supposed to be countercultural. One man called culture the unspoken rules about the way we do things around here. That's good, isn't it? The unspoken rules about the way we do things around here. That's not the way we do things around here. <laughs> Another man who wrote a book called An Understanding Christian Mission, his name is Sunquist. Sounds like Sunkist almost, my favorite drink. Anyway, describes culture in this way. He says, the learned patterns of thought and behavior of any given group. Did you hear that? The learned patterns of thought and behavior. In other words, you learn culture. If you're in a culture and it's not good and you don't know it, I got news for you and it's not good. You're going to learn that culture. You're going to absorb that culture and you're going to become part of that culture. Whether it's good or whether it's bad, you're going to become part of that culture. We watch, we listen, we learn, and we repeat. Every church makes disciples. I think a lot of people will question that. Like, well, we're supposed to make disciples. I know that. Every church makes disciples. Here's the question. What kind of disciples is that church making? Are they healthy? Are they flourishing? Are they strong in Christ? Are they courageous and humble? Those two things do belong together. They can coexist in a human being if that person's in Christ. If you're in Christ... And that's the cultural air that you're breathing and the cultural water that's flowing through your gills. You know that you don't have anything to fear. You don't have anything to lose. You don't have anything to prove. You don't have anything to hide. That, my friend, is a powerful culture. It's beautiful. So culture is the shared, unquestioned values we embrace. Families have a culture. Cities have a culture. Small businesses have a culture. Companies have a culture. That's why J.I. Packer, and he just passed away just two or three days ago. It was in his 90s. He wrote that book that a lot of us cut our teeth on called Knowing God. You remember that? An awesome book. Well, he, he's with the Lord now. But he said this. In fact, he wrote this in the foreword to that book that, that Ray Ortland wrote. He said, it's beyond question that we believers do not think often enough or deeply enough about the culture of our congregations. 
You know, it's said that books don't change people, sentences do. Have you ever been reading a book and you're not even to the author yet? You're just to the foreword. <laughs> that book, like, that, that, that sentence rattled me years ago when I read it. Thankfully, before we planted this church, it rattled me, it gripped me, and it has shaped the way I think about church because I think it's biblical. I think Christians just assume, they assume all is well. Look at our doctrinal statement. We're good, we're good. Bible's God's word. Man has fallen in sin, redeemed in Christ. We believe in this and this and this. We believe in a little, literal creation, literal, physical, tangible return of Jesus. We're good. Well, that's your gospel on paper. That's your gospel doctrine. But what's your gospel culture? Do you have a gospel culture? And what is shaping it? Because sometimes you can go to a church, they got a pristine, unchallengeable doctrinal statement. But you can just, it's something's off. Doesn't, it's not Christ-like. It's a Kanye West song, isn't it? It's not Christ-like. It's not, something's missing, something's absent. There's this ingredient, the cake is flat. Somebody didn't put flour in it or eggs, I don't know, whatever the ingredient is. Sometimes the people in that culture, they don't, they don't see it, they don't know it, they don't feel it. But a guest will experience that. Something's maybe cold, or this culture's suspicious, or this culture is oppressive or abusive, or has a superiority complex, or whatever it is, all the different cultures. Culture of secrecy here. What's going on the meeting after the meeting after the meeting in the parking lot, Right? What's going on behind my back here? There's a high body count. It's tense. It's n people are paranoid and nervous. You could cut the, so tense you could cut it with a knife. Since I've been a Christian at 22, I've been in five churches that I was invested in, five cultures. And I've, I've learned things being a part of those cultures. I've learned that the leadership is usually the last person to see when a culture's really gone away from the Bible and away from the gospel. And it's being shaped by something else. It's being shaped by fear or by reaction or by just, just protection, hoarding. We can't lose any members. We can't send anybody anywhere. We got to hoard all this up. Man, that will create a toxic culture. It is so toxic. When Jesus said, unless a seed falls to the ground... And dies, it remains alone. But if it falls to the ground and dies, it bears much fruit. And I know I'm getting ahead of myself. We're going to talk about all these things in this series. We want to have a culture of sending at this church. Not hoarding, sending. We don't ever want to supersize Grace Life Church. We want to multiply. We want to be a church who plants churches, who plant churches, who make disciples, who make disciples, right? That's a culture. A culture of multiplicity. But leaders are usually the last ones to see it. Solomon was a king, and he was the son of an amazing shepherd. And he wrote this in the book of Proverbs. He said, know well the condition of your flocks and give attention to your herds. That means pay attention to what kind of culture you have at your church. What are the, the unquestioned, assumed, unanalyzed, unchallenged values of your church? What are the convictions What's the smell? What's the aroma? Now, why is this important? Well, for a lot of reasons, but just looking at the text, I told you those two verses were the ones we're really going to focus on. And in Romans chapter 15, here's what it says, the last two verses there. 
I'm getting there. The last two verses that we read, it says, I'll start in verse 5. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus that together you may with one voice glorify, there's that word glory, glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. So two different places that word glory, doxa in Greek, doxology. In the Old Testament, it's, it's, it's a word kavod or kavod. It means heavy. Why is this important? Because this is showing a watching world and reminding us the reality of the living God. Why is church culture so important? Because it's reminding us how much weight does God carry? How valuable is God? How overwhelmed with who God is and with what he has done on our behalf are we? How swept up and astonished with this message of grace are we? And how does that flow into and, and shape our behavior and relationships with one another? God's glory is at stake. And another word for glory may just be this, beauty. Beauty. A culture can be very beautiful and very attractive and very impressive for the right reasons. For the right reasons, I say impressive. We're going to look at that passage in Acts at the very end of this message. But you know what strikes me when I read that? The first gathering of the church, a bunch of strangers that were enemies days before, and then God, the Holy Spirit, opened their eyes and showed them, I am an enemy of God. I have crucified an innocent man who's the Son of God, and I am, I am guilty as charged, and I stand condemned. But, but, he will cleanse me. He will take away my guilt and my pollution. He will redeem me and save me and justify me. Right after they experienced that, you had that gathering, and it says that they were together, and they were devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the prayers, to the breaking of bread and the fellowship, and it says they had favor with all the people. They had favor, meaning the community sat up and looked at these people that they knew were enemies. The only thing all these people had in common was Jesus. They weren't all Democrats. They weren't all Republicans. They didn't have, you know, we homeschool and we like sushi and we like long walks on the beach, you know, which that's, that's fine. But when it comes to spirituality, that can be very shallow. No, the one thing that united them was Christ had redeemed them and they're in his family now. They're brothers and sisters who were enemies at one another's throats just hours before. And the Bible says that the, a, a world sat up because, listen, that kind of beauty is head turning. You don't see that out there. You don't see that in companies and small businesses. You don't. You see different kinds of, of culture, like cancel culture. You did something 20 years ago that was even fine in the culture you lived in back then, but now because you've done that, you're out, and, and they're in. I mean, it's really ugly today, what we're seeing, isn't it? And that creeps into the church, too. The world sees what kind of culture Christ creates. I mean, really, I would say it this way, and Ray Ortland makes this argument. The reason this is so important is because the beauty of human relationships redeemed in Christ, that is the strongest, most powerful apologetic to a watching world. And, and by apologetic, that's just a word that means defense. In other words, if you're an unbeliever, but you've heard about this thing called Christianity, you've heard about it, it sounds so ridiculous and so scandalous, you're so skeptical and suspicious of it, you want to know, can, can this really be true? All these claims that Jesus made, 
to rise from the dead, to love and, and forgive sinners, his enemies. Is this really true? Is it legit? So you could do what Lee Strobel did, and you can go and, and investigate the original manuscripts of the Bible and interview people and talk to people, and then write a book called The Case for Christ, which is an amazing book. It's an incredible book. Great arguments for the gospel. Or do what C.S. Lewis did, same thing, and wrote a book called Surprised by Joy. <laughs> or you can do this. You can get up a little earlier on a Sunday morning and go visit a church. And the way that church, the culture of that church, the human relationships there will be the most powerful and memorable apologetic for the gospel, or, or it will be a stench in the nostrils of the person who's questioned it and was suspicious, and now you've just confirmed, okay, I knew it couldn't be true. I knew it couldn't be true. They're just as divisive, angry, and trigger-happy as we are out there. Because in, and I, and I don't want to overstep, words like most, many, uh, those are important. Some churches, that's the culture there. And that's tragic. That's terrible. Because God's glory is at stake. People walk into that church and they smell that terrible odor and they understand very quickly, maybe even before the people that are in that church realize it, this is a toxic place where the gospel's not shaping and informing the relationships. I'm going to read a mission statement, and you're not going to know which app or company this is, but you will whenever I read another one to you. Check this out. Our purpose. So this is their statement on paper. Even businesses have this purpose statement. We value this. This is our purpose. We exist for this. But then you go and you talk to the people, and it's different, right? Check this out. Our purpose is to cultivate a kinder world where everyone has a community they can rely on. Our mission is to be the community hub for trusted connections and the exchange of helpful information, goods, and services. We want all community members to feel welcome, safe, and respected when using our app. Well, that sounds noble and commendable. I'd want to be a part of that app, wouldn't you? You know what it is? It's next door. How many people have ever used that? <laughs> is that what happens on next door? <laughs> no. No, it's not. Let me read to you somebody in Deland who wrote this. Goodbye is what the title is. Next door used to be a wonderful site to get information and suggestions about our lives in Deland. I used to enjoy the comments and neighborhood news with my cup of coffee. Unfortunately, it has become a cesspool of nasty comments and arguments. I, for one, am signing off and will only come on if my dog is missing or I need a professional recommendation. Sad that the few run it for the rest. Stay healthy and find people who bring joy into your lives. What happened, man? They had this statement on paper. It sounded wonderful, but they had no power to enforce it, right? And I'm not just talking about police the people that make comments. I'm saying, how are you going to make a community kind? <laughs> how are you going to do that? How are you going to make people stop at a red light? Did they just do that because they have such love in their heart? No, because they'll get a ticket if they don't. And unfortunately for a lot of people, the law is the only thing that shapes them, and it's fear, right? If you've ever been on next door, it's a terrible place to exchange ideas, mostly. If you didn't pick up after your doggy do, or your lawn's not cut to two and a half inches, or you didn't de-weed your garden, or you parked in the wrong spot, or you painted your house the wrong color, all true stories, guys, from my neighborhood. <laughs> just my neighborhood, just a hundred and something houses. 
Man, judge, jury, verdict, sentence, all next door. <laughs> they even have an app now. Uh, they even have an app now that, that makes fun of next door, where people get together and just read the threads for entertainment. It's like you get popcorn and you sit down, like, look at that, man. That's a terrible, toxic culture, right? They had this statement, this mission on paper, but in reality, people are tearing each other to pieces. They're trigger happy, dog eat dog, vicious. And in some churches, the culture is the same. What happened? What happened? I think what happened is Romans 15 didn't happen. And I'm going to read this verse 7 because this encapsulates everything really I want to say. Romans 15, verse 7, it says this. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Let me read that again. Therefore, now this is, this is the Apostle Paul's magnum opus. This is his theological this is the best letter he's ever written, okay? He like makes a case for a systematic Christian theology. The whole book, he has ran the gamut of every, every part of a systematic theology that you could ever open up and read. Paul has dealt on it. He's gone to the depths and the heights and the lengths and the breadths. All of redemptive history has been written. And this is part of his conclusion in chapter 15, therefore. What's the end of the matter? Here it is. Welcome one another. Welcome one another, he says, as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Now, here's the argument I'm going to make. Gospel doctrine is as, as Christ has welcomed you. How have you been welcomed by God in Christ? That's gospel doctrine. That's the gospel. Sinners being reconciled to a holy God who don't deserve to be. Enemies. Romans chapter 5, it says, while you were still weak, while you were still a sinner, while you were still an enemy, Christ died for you. So let me ask you a question. How did Jesus Christ welcome you? <laughs> did he get close and hold his nose? Did he just tolerate you? Or did he open up his full heart to you and say, you know what? You're not going to wave the white flag. I'm going to die for you anyway. And then you'll lay down your arms. That's what Jesus Christ did. That's how he welcomed us in Christ. How have we been welcomed? Full, all out, received. And let me tell you this, okay? Just to geek out for just a minute. The word for, for welcome or receive in Greek is lambano. That's a beautiful word, isn't it? Lambano. Now, in Greek, usually, when you add a preposition to the beginning or the end of a word, it intensifies it. It makes it like, it takes it up five or six notches, okay? So, a preposition is added to this word, pros. So, he says, the way that you were proslambanoed by God, that means you were super received. You were super welcomed. Have you ever been welcomed by somebody when you knew, you knew you did not even deserve to be with them? You didn't deserve to be in their presence. You didn't deserve to spend your life with them. That was me with my wife. Have you ever anticipated and deserved judgment, but you got grace instead? Anybody ever had that happen to you, ever? That's a miracle when it happens. And it will change you. It will transform you. It's beautiful. It's powerful. It's irresistible. It's disarming. <laughs> That's how God welcomed us in Christ. We didn't deserve it. The only thing that we deserved was the wages of our sin was death. 
and judgment. That's what we deserved. That's what we earned. That was our paycheck we knew was coming. But instead, something shocking, something scandalous happened instead. Jesus said, I welcome you. Come to me. Come to me, all you who are broken and weary and weak and sinful. And I will give you rest. I will turn none away. That's how we have been proslambanoed by Christ. And it is scandalous. When Jesus told the parable of the prodigal son who went into a far country, and you know the story in Luke 15. I'm not going to preach it here. But back then in the Middle East, in that culture, you had to wait until your father died before you got the inheritance. The ultimate insult and injury and slap in the face was for your dad to still be alive and you to say, come on, will you hurry up with it and die so I can get your money? Because that's the only value you represent to me is your wallet, your debit card. Come on, dad, give it to me. And dad said, fine, son, you can, you can have it. I'm not dead, but you can take your share of the money. And he went into a faraway country, which represents not distance, but separation from God. He went and he squandered all of it. He wasted it on riotous living. And I love how the Bible you can, just, you can just interpret that. <laughs> Riotous living. I think we all know what that would be, right? And when he ran out of money and a famine happened and he was reduced to working for, for a Jew, it would be ultimate uncleanliness for a pig, a swine farmer, feeding husk to the pigs. And he looked up one day and he said, what am I doing? What am I doing? My father's servants eat better than this. I know what I'll do. I'll go home. I'll, I'll grovel in the dirt, I'll kiss my father's toe, I'll beg his forgiveness, and then he'll receive me. And he's rehearsing his speech on the way home. And what's the father doing? He's on the front porch. He's never left. He's been looking for his son for all those years, waiting on his return. And what does he do? What does the Middle Eastern nobleman who's wealthy, guys, I cannot tell you, you can do your own study on this, a noble, elderly, Middle Eastern, uh, wealthy estate owner did not lift up his skirt or whatever it was he's wearing and run and greet his son. That would be shameful to even receive your son back. That whole parable would have been scandalous to a Jew. And Jesus told it and their jaws dropped because that father went out and embraced his son, put a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet, kissed him and said, slaughter the fattened calf for my son was dead and he's back. That's how you and I have been received by God. That's it. Now, how do we know if we really believe that? How do I know if that story, which is not really a story, it's reality. How do we really know if that penny, that gospel penny has dropped in your heart? You ever had that happen at a, you're putting quarters in for a, a snack or a Coke and you got to kick it and then you hear, <coughs> and then it comes down. Many people, it's like the gospel's right up here. They've just assumed that, yeah, 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 I get it. Jesus died for sinners, blah, 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 yada, yada, yada. I get it. No, you don't get it. You don't get it if that hasn't moved you and shaped you and changed you. And maybe we need to say it differently. Maybe we need to talk about the gospel uh, in language that people understand. That's, that, that, that's shocking and I think that needs to happen sometimes. You don't change the message. You just do all within your power to communicate. That's what Jesus did. You understand those parables? That was the modern vernacular and language of the people, stories. You know, Victor Hugo wrote a novel called Les Miserables. Have you guys ever heard of that or watched the movie? That's good enough if you watch the movie. I tried to read the book. I was telling my wife this morning. For 100 pages, Victor Hugo is describing a bishop in this book. The bishop's name is, I'll say it wrong, honey, Monsieur Bienvenu. Did I get it right? Where's, where's Michel? 
Michelle, what does, what does bienvenue mean in French? Welcome. Welcome. There's a bishop, a priest, a pastor in this book, and his name is the pastor of welcome, okay? I'm, I'm putting it in modern shoe leather for you here. And Victor Hugo spends 100 pages, of the, I kid you not, 100 pages describing how perfect this, this bishop is. And I eventually, I'm a pastor, I'm like, what the heck's he doing, man? I mean, I've seen the movie. I know this guy has one brief appearance and he's out of the story. Why did he spend that long? And I think Victor Hugo is, is communicating something to his readers. That's the Christ figure in that novel. So do you know the story? Uh, Jean Valjean is a, is a convicted felon. He spent 19 years in prison for stealing bread for his hungry niece, right? He spent 19 years in prison. He's finally released, but he's got to carry this yellow passport around that tells everybody this man's dangerous and you don't want him around. And he's trying to find shelter for himself. He can't find it. Everyone turns him away. And then he meets this bishop. He knocks on the bishop's door. The bishop of welcome. Bienvenue. Monsieur Bienvenue. And I want to just read to you. I want to read to you the exchange here. Because it's profound. Here's the song. I'll just sing the song real quick, okay? One stanza. Come in, sir, for you are weary, and the night is cold out there. Though our lives are very humble, what we have, we have to share. There is wine here to revive you. There is bread to make you strong. There's a bed to rest till morning, rest from pain, and rest from wrong. And I want to read in the novel, just a couple of paragraphs here, the exchange that this ex-convict had with this bishop at his door. It's at night, it's cold, he's hungry, he's tired, he's been turned away from everyone else, and a lady told him, you go knock on that door, he'll let you in. The bishop turned to the man, sit down, sir, and warm yourself. We are going to dine in a few moments, and your bed will be prepared while you are eating. At this point, the man, this is Jean Valjean, the man suddenly comprehended the expression of his face up to that time, somber and harsh, bore the imprint of shock, of doubt, of joy, and became extraordinary. He began stammering like a crazy man. Really? What? You will keep me? You do not drive me forth? A convict? You call me sir? Get out of here, you dog, is what people always say to me. I felt sure that you would expel me, so I told you at once who I am, meaning he shared his identity. I'm a convict. Oh, what a good woman that was who directed me here. I am going to feast. A bed with a mattress and sheets like the rest of the world. A bed. It is 19 years since I have slept in a bed. You actually do not want me to go? Turning to his guest, the bishop said, The night wind is harsh on the Alps. You must be cold, sir. Each time that he uttered the word sir in his voice, which was so gentle and grave and polished, his guest face lit up. Monsieur, said the man, you are good. You do not despise me. You receive me into your house. You light your candles for me. Yet I have not concealed from you my identity. The bishop who was sitting close to him gent Sorry. gently touched his hand. You could not help telling me who you were. This is not my house. It is the house of Jesus Christ. That may not be moving to you. That's okay. I've had a bunch of coffee, so. <laughs> Do you see what Victor Hugo was doing? The bishop of welcome. That's how you've been welcomed by God in Christ. And friend, I hope, I hope that this series helps you see with fresh eyes what so easily becomes dull to us. And we forget we have gospel amnesia. 
we ought to be so astonished to look back and remember how we have been proslambanoed by God in Christ when he had every right to reject us and kick us out. That's a beautiful thing. That vertical reception, as you have been welcomed in Christ by God, welcome one another. (laughs) If I just stand up here and rant every week, welcome one another. Welcome one another. Love one another. Serve one another. Sign up for the nursery. Become a greeter. Tithe. If I did that and just pressed on your wills every single week, and I never reminded you how you have been received pros lombanoed by God in Christ, what are we doing? <laughs> That's just moralism. God gives us built-in reminders. Built-in reminders as to the why we do what we do and how we do it. What's, where's the power come from? We have the endless power of the Holy Spirit of God reminding us of this message so that we can be changed and formed and shaped into the image of Jesus Christ. So we have this vertical thing that comes down the gospel and it hits, you think of it like the beams of the cross. There's the vertical beam, we've been welcomed by God in Christ. And the horizontal beam, we welcome one another. If the gospel that we say we believe doesn't beautify our human relationships, I think we have the legitimacy to question whether or not we've really understood it. I'm not saying you're not a Christian. I'm not saying you didn't believe it. I'm saying whether we have understood the depths, the depths of the sacrifice, the amount of the debt that was paid. Maybe you just think Jesus paid the postage for a stamp and a letter you sent. (laughs) And not that you owed a billion dollars or you were going to jail (laughs) or you were going to be condemned or hung on the gallows. That's how, have you ever seen, I asked you earlier, um, would it be unreasonable for people who hear the claims of the gospel to come to church to see whether or not it's true? That's my question to you. Would it be unreasonable for people who have heard the claims of what the gospel is to come and visit this church to see whether or not it's true? Would that be unreasonable? No, it would not. And I would hope, I would hope when they come, and not just on Sunday, guys. I'm talking about, this is just two hours. I'm talking about our community groups. I'm talking about every time Christians gather together under the name of Jesus Christ, what happens there? Is it radical love that's scandalous, that's unexplainable, that's unduplicatable by Nextdoor or Apple or whatever other app or company or business is out there? They can't duplicate that. They don't have the yeast. They don't have the flour. They don't have the secret sauce or whatever it is. That's the gospel, that Jesus Christ came to live the life that you and I couldn't live and wouldn't live, and he died as a substitute in our place, and he sent his Holy Spirit to fill us and to enlighten us, to show us the way so that we can be a part of his rescue mission to others. That's what this is all about. While we were weak, while we were sinners, while we were enemies, Ray Orland says this at one point in that book, there's a lot of love in this world, but it is moderate. It's moderate. The Bible never says, says to love one another moderately. It says to love one another intensely. And can I just tell you that the second part of that verse, when it says, as you have been proslambanoed by God and Christ, therefore, and it leaves the preposition on, <laughs> you have been intensely, radically Welcome by God in Christ, therefore, yeah, do your best with one another. We'll take the preposition off, because we know, we're humans, we're limited. (laughs) 
super abundantly, radically, scandalously welcome and receive one another as you have been welcomed and received by Christ. Not hold your nose, not tolerated, not suspicious. That's what the that's what this is talking about. The beauty of human relationships in the church is itself an argument for the gospel. Ray Ortland says, just as a tender romance that endures for a lifetime is an argument for marriage, for when marriage is doubted. And don't we see that today? Don't people doubt marriage? Ah, you can't, don't even bother, don't even try. It's impossible. You can't commit to one person for life like that. Really? Well, look at this marriage over here. Dang, okay, okay. <laughs> I question my questioning. Like, human beings can't, can't love each other like that. Oh, really? I hope, I hope that I could say, oh, really? Well, come and visit our community group. <laughs> no, come on, man. Come on, we're just a bunch of people that have been changed by grace. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to rush, speed through this last part. That's okay. I've, I've said, I think, most of what I want to say. Acts chapter 2, check this out. Now, this is just the introduction to the series, okay? We're going to have four more weeks at least. And I would say this. Romans 5, Romans 15, 7, it's like the whole Bible in one verse, man. It really is. Receive one another as you have been received in God by Christ for the glory of God. That's the whole Bible, man, in one verse. Don't you like simplicity and clarity? I do. You got the clarity of the gospel and you got the beauty of human relationships right there in that verse. So, what's it look like when people do this? It looks like this. We read it earlier, I'll read it again. And they devoted themselves. Can I geek out one more time that verb, devoted? It means ongoing and it means to radically give yourself away. <laughs> you like that? They radically gave themselves away. To who? To who? To what? They gave themselves away to the, to the doctrine. Jesus, the Great Commission, I command you go into the whole world, baptize, teach them all that I have commanded you to observe. And that's what they're doing here. This is the first home group, Cliff. Check it out. <laughs> they devoted themselves to the doctrine, gospel doctrine. It's here, right? Check. They devoted themselves to the apostles' doctrine, verse 42. And the fellowship Koinonia, shared partnership, and the breaking of bread, and the prayers. Well, that's cool. What, what came out of that? Well, look at verse 43, and awe came upon every soul. The word is fear, but in Greek, phobia, it, it doesn't mean less than that, but it means much more than just being afraid. <laughs> I think people saw the power of the Holy Spirit, and there were miracles taking place all through the book of Acts. Starting in the very first event where the ground shook and mighty rushing wind, the Holy Spirit came. People stood back and they were like, something's going on here that I don't quite understand. But when they saw the result of that, when they, when they stepped back up to the window to look in, these Christians, these little Christ, were now meeting in homes. And don't you know that a watching world was curious and suspicious because, you know, you heard that they thought that they were... Uh, cannibals because of the Lord's Supper, and they thought that they were atheists because they rejected the Roman gods and goddesses of their day. They were curious. So when they stepped up and they wanted to listen, they wanted to see, who is this Christ? 
What is this gospel? What is this teaching and this doctrine? So I would ask you a question. As we read this thing is, when the watching world steps up to your fellowship or your community group or your Christian family or whatever it is, wherever you gather in the name of Christ, when they step up and they want to they lean in and listen, they may be offended by your message, but they want to actually see what that message does. What do they see? What do they... What's the smell? Is it toxic? Do they see beautiful human relationships flourishing, thriving? They see proslambano that they've never experienced in their own family or at work. They have to drag themselves out of bed and go to work because everybody hates each other there. There's conflict, there's gossip, there's office to office toxicity. It's terrible. But they lean into these Christians. What do they hear? Social outrage? Political indignation? Nope. No, that's not what, what brought those people together. It wasn't a, a, a Republican or a Democratic Party. That wasn't it. It wasn't political unity. It wasn't there. In fact, if you study the early church, it's really interesting, the people that Jesus brought together. Simon, a zealot, and a tax collector. Okay? You put those two dudes in a room apart from Jesus, they're going to kill each other. <laughs> anyway, I'm getting ahead of myself. And awe came upon every soul, fear, astonishment. They were overwhelmed by what they saw and what they heard and what they experienced because it was love unlike anything they had ever seen before. All came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. Now check this out, guys. Enemies before, strangers before. These people would not sit together at the cafeteria. They wouldn't. They had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions. I was at a church where a guy asked the pastor, he said, this sounds like communism to me, selling their possessions. And the pastor very wisely said, uh, do you read in there where they were forced to? Or they did it willingly, out of love. There's a big difference, guys, <laughs> right? If you give yourself away because you have to, okay, well, that's one thing. In other words, you better, you better, or else. But the gospel says, I get to. Because of what Jesus did for me, I'll happily and joyfully. Isn't that what the book of Hebrews says? They joyfully endured the plundering of their goods. Why? Because they had a better city, man. They had a better kingdom. They had a better promise. They gave themselves away. They sold their possessions or their belongings. They distributed the proceeds to all as any had need, and day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God, and here it is, having favor with all the people. And then don't miss this little footnote by Dr. Luke, the physician. What did he say? And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. In other words, people saw that and they said, I want that. I want in on that. I want to I do that. I want to be that. How can I? How can I get in on this? I want to have a church culture, guys. I'm serious. Where people lean in and they listen up and they say, I don't know what's going on here, but I've never seen anything like this in my life and I want to be a part of it. I want to get in on that. I want in on the action. How do I get in on it? And then what's the answer? Oh, that's easy. They're like, what do I have to do? Bring back the broomstick of the wicked witch of the West? What do I got to do? Climb a mountain? <laughs> Hike? Run a 5K? Run a marathon? What do I do? You're like, no. No, you don't. Here's what you have to do. You have to believe this message about that king and his kingdom. And you have to shift your identity from whatever it is that was giving you worth and value 
to him, to belonging to him. You repent of your sins, and you trust Jesus Christ alone, and then you're in. <laughs> you're in. You're in, even though you didn't deserve it. You receive this. You don't achieve this. That's the, diff- that's the thing that distinguishes Christianity. Again, that's the astonishment of the gospel, right? You receive it. It's the, the gospel is good news. It's a declaration, not for something that you do. One person said it this way, the gospel is good news, it's not good advice. Do you guys know what, that sounds like tweetish or something, or lots of clever little cliche. No, listen, the gospel is not good advice. What's good advice? Well, here's what you need to do, this, 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 and this. And then maybe, if what you did is up to snuff, we can do this. That's good advice. Good news is, hey, I got, I got some good news for you. Everything's been done on your behalf. The war has been fought. The king has gone out to battle himself. And he has secured victory. He has slaughtered the enemy. He has conquered death. And I know you didn't do nothing. You were over there trembling, shaking, (laughs) waiting on the king to do it. But he's done it, and he's going to share his victory with you. Because he's that kind of king. He's that glorious. He wants you to partake in his victory and celebrate and, and be welcome into his family. That's the difference between Christianity and every other religion in the world. That's the difference. It is finished. That's the gospel declaration. That's the good news. That's the be welcomed by God in Christ. And now you can turn around and you can welcome others. Every other hope, Ray Ortland says this, and I'm closing with this. Every other hope is based explicitly or implicitly on how deserving we are. Only the Christian gospel is based clearly, boldly, and insistently on how loving God is to the undeserving. If you thought you could earn, demand, and fight your way through life on the basis of your own entitlements and cleverness, but now you find within yourself not light, but darkness and denial, not freedom, but impasse, if you have shocked yourself with the evil you're capable of and have given up on yourself in despair, the God of love awaits for you with open arms today. Today. Maybe you're here today and you're thinking, Pastor, I don't, I don't know if I've ever been welcomed by God. Maybe I've always assumed that me and God were okay and I didn't really know I was his enemy or that I had sinned against him. I would just plead with you today. Yes, it's true. The Bible says all have sinned and have fallen short of the glory of God. What we've earned is death and judgment and hell. God could send every human being to hell and would have done them no wrong. But God is a God of grace, and he has offered forgiveness and cleansing and pardon to guilty rebels like us. And we don't have to earn it. He earned it. We receive it. We believe that message, and we turn to him. And you can do that right in your seat right now. You don't have to walk down an aisle. You don't have to do a bucket list to earn. You can do it right now. You can receive it and believe it and be a part of God's family. Or if you've done that and maybe the gospel has become dim to you, it's pixelated, it's like 480 standard and not 4K, maybe this series will help you see. And every week, leave here, I pray, I pray we all leave here more astonished and overwhelmed by what God has done for us in Jesus Christ than when we got here. And guys, that will empower you to welcome one another. When relationships are hard and people are messy, and problematic, (laughs) and bring their issues into the relationship, 
That will be the power that you need and the motivation that you need to love them and for them to love you because we're no better. The ground is all level at the foot of the cross, isn't it? Well, let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this opportunity you give us in this series to talk about gospel doctrine and gospel culture and how one forms and shapes the other. Help us to welcome one another, Lord. Help us to welcome one another, to super abundantly, radically, and generously welcome one another because of the way that we have been welcomed by you when we were undeserving, guilty criminals and rebels, Lord, who were running away from you as far as our legs could carry us. But you came, Lord, and you died on our behalf. Thank you so much for that. Transform our hearts by that truth this morning as we take some time to just reflect and ponder this message as the, as the band comes to play and our prayer team is at the back. I pray if we need to just ask your forgiveness or ask for your help, Lord, to see these things and be as excited about these things as the Bible tells us that we should be. I pray that your spirit would come and would accomplish those things in our heart today. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as I mentioned, we have a prayer team at the back. And if you have a question about anything that was shared or you that you want to, to be prayed over, you have a sickness you'd like to pray that God would heal you, or you're just confused and you're sad and you're depressed or you need counseling, please, please, this is your time to come to the back and come and talk with one of the members of our prayer group. We would love to minister to you and, and help you and pray with you. But for the rest, you can sit quietly. We're gonna, this is our Selah song of reflection about the message you've heard so that you can process We'll come at that time and
Amen. All right, I've got a couple announcements. If your family has not received a copy of the gospel book, there are four copies in the lobby. And if we run out of those, we'll get some more. So um, please help yourself. They're on the welcome cart uh, in the lobby. Um, you can grab one of those if you did not get one yet. We have two other announcements. Fifth Wednesday prayer gathering, Wednesday, July 29th from 7 p.m. to 8.30 p.m. Uh, we will not gather in person this time. It'll be on Zoom. So you can um, click on the Church Center app if you have that, and we'll have all the details there. Or on the website under, um, if you click on Gather and then Events, you'll be able to get the Zoom link uh, from there as well. Um, it is prayer and fasting, but don't, you know, if you're not in a position where you can um, fast for medical reasons, then, um, you know, grace to you and, and join us for the prayer, for the prayer time. And we also are um, asking people to consider to facilitate or host a community group uh, coming in September, okay? Those will launch in September. Um, we'll have an interest meeting for that on Sunday, August 2nd. If you are interested in opening up your home to host a group or if you'd like to facilitate a group, come to that meeting, you'll get all the information. If you are, um, if you hosted, last year and you'd like to host again, will you please come to that meeting as well? Um, you know, we love to have different people come that way. Um, many hands lighten the load, right? And so it's kind of nice to be able to give some um, folks a break. So if you're interested in doing that, we would love to have you. There's lunch provided and you can RSVP on the app, on the, on the website um, under gather and events, or you can just contact the church office and let us know. Um, one of the things I love about our culture uh, is saying this charge at the end of each service to remind us why we're here, right? We're here to go. So will you stand up and um, say this charge with me? Oh, and, I, and just mentioning again the exits. If you don't want to go through the hallway, there's exits um, to the left and to the right at the back of the auditorium if you want to sneak out. 